Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. How's it going, everyone? This is the Go Along Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. On this episode, we wanted to share my conversation with Willie Sneed, the fourth. You may remember him from his New Orleans Saints days when he almost had about 2,000 yards his first two seasons. He goes to Baltimore, wins a lot of games, but in Greg Roman's offense, as you'll learn, not exactly wide receiver friendly. Right now, Willie Sneed's looking for a job. He's looking to sign with a team, a pass-heavy team, if he if he can so choose. Uh, and he gets into everything from what happened in Baltimore, what happened in Las Vegas last year, and everything in between with really how the murder of his best friend, Eric Patterson, a Ball State teammate, motivated him a couple years back and still motivates him today. They never found out who killed his best friend, too. It's unbelievably tragic. Uh, Opens up on that, and today, in the meantime, while he waits to sign with the team, Willie Sneed is being there as a dad for his two daughters. So that quality family time has been big. He got married, went on a honeymoon and with his father, he's trying to change lives down in South Florida through the Christian school that they founded. As we all know, so much talent in South Florida, it's just kind of suffocated by circumstance. So he's trying to do something about it and be a mentor, a role model for a lot of kids that don't have one. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Be sure to check out the written Q&A, if you'd like, at golongtd.com. Here is Willie Sneed. time really like for you? I mean, you're proven. We've seen it. I, I imagine you're putting yourself in different situations and different offenses and, you know, you, you, you can be choosy, but you want a job too. So what, what's the, I guess, what, what's the decision-making process like right now? Uh, I think right now it's just, you know, seeing where the right fit is for me, uh, especially when it comes to offensive standpoint. Uh, I feel like I've been in Every type of offense this league can throw at me, and uh, I've mastered all of it. And I think just going into my, you know, another year, I'm turning 30 this year. You know, I got probably got like four or five more years left in me. I just want my next place to be the right place so I'm not getting lost again, you know, because I think a lot of people forgot about me when I went to Baltimore because, you know, they were so, you know, run-oriented. And versus New Orleans, where it was just straight pass, I got to – really show my skill sets, you know, when it comes to route running, catching, being explosive after catching the football. So I just got more chances in a, a traditional West Coast more than an unconventional offense like the Ravens. So that's really going into my decision-making, just, you know, trying to get the right team, the right fit for me, and uh, just trying to get with a team that I can see myself uh, helping them get to, get to the Super Bowl and the ultimate goal. It, it really is nuts. I mean, you're – you know, you're a, a few catches away from back-to-back thousand-yard seasons to start your career. I mean, like right out of the shoot, out of Ball State, and then yeah, I mean, you get you get to Baltimore, and that's just how they did it, isn't it? I mean, it was just a totally different offense there. 
Yeah, I mean, when I first came in with Crabtree and John Brown, uh, Flacco was the quarterback at the time, and, and they were a little more West Coast traditional. Um, but when they made the transition from Joe to Lamar, that's kind of like when they started, you know, really leaning on the run and, and Lamar's run ability. And I still finished that year with, you know, leading the team in catches. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from that year on, I mean, two years after that, it was like, it was like overwhelmingly 70% run, like 30% pass. So, you know, it wasn't a slot-friendly offense, so to speak. You know, so that's kind of like, you know, why I went to the Raiders last year, you know, everything like that. So I just wanted to kind of reinvent myself as a pass catcher. It's kind of, the you know, the goal here this offseason. Totally. It's, and it's not only the, the 70-30, right? I mean, I, I, we all heard Steve Smith's rant on NFL Network. I, I'd imagine he might have been speaking for – several Ravens receivers on the just the route concepts or lack thereof with Greg Roman. Yeah, it's tough. You know, it's, it's uh, I mean, when we're comparing uh, Greg Roman to Sean Payton offense or Greg Roman to a John Gruden offense, it's like night and day, man. Um, I just think there's a lot more creativity in the passing game. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just think if, if, if the Ravens had more creativity in the passing game and they just had they put more emphasis on it during the season. I think, you know, more more receivers would be, you know, open to coming because Lamar is a great player to play with. He's all about the team. You know, he's fun. You know, he brings the energy every single day. You want to play for quarterbacks like that. But the system kind of pushes guys away, and, it, and it, it's hesitant. That's why, you know, the Ravens is always drafting, like, two receivers every year. You know, they keep them young. They keep them, you know, you know, locked in on contracts. But, you know, for an older veteran guy coming in, it's like, you know, you might get one shot to do this. You know, I don't know if the Ravens is going to be that one shot for them unless you're like a tight end or a big body receiver, you know, who can, you know, win those 50-50 balls like that, if you know what I mean. Totally. I mean, Hollywood Brown is, you know, he, he knows he, he's up for a contract soon, so he probably is like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> I know, right? He had to do his best for him, and I, I mean, I, I don't blame him. You know, he's been frustrated, you know, the past couple seasons, and – you know, like you said, he's got a contract coming up and he just wants to put himself in a, the best position to get paid. So when you say it's night and day, what does that really look like as a receiver? Like, what, what, what does a Sean Payton offense look like with those route concepts versus what you had in Baltimore? Yeah, it's just a lot more, you know, motion, shifting, you know, trying to create matchups, to get, get those one-on-one matchups in space. Um, you know, I know Sean was, a, you know, big into the play action off the run game, but... You know, he was still, he'll get into that empty set and go five wide and start throwing different type of concepts at you where it makes defenses, you know, start to bite. And then here comes a wide open hole across the middle. You know, those are, that's game plan specific. That's Sean Payne and John Gruden. Like those guys are, you know, from the Bill Parcells all the way down, you know, that's, that's, that's the tree right there. That's the offense for them. And Greg Roman is just more, you know, run heavy. You know, he's got misdirection. He's got play action. He's got power game, you know. He'll be a, a hell of a run game coordinator in somebody's offense, but I just think the passing game just needs a little bit more juice, and uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of just been like that for the past couple of years. You know, it's it's, uh, it's just something that they do. Kind of like just the that old school Coriel route tree, I'm guessing, where it's like you have a number and you're just kind of running your route, and it's not really in conjunction with other routes. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, the the, the tight ends get more you know creativity than the receivers. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, I don't want to say the play calling in itself, but it's just when you're putting up plays against certain defenses, you know what I'm saying, you know which stuff is going to work and which doesn't. 
isn't going to work. So it's like every week has to be a brand new game plan for this specific team. Now, if you just copy and paste it from one week to the other, you know, these teams in the NFL, you know, these defensive coordinators, man, they're great. You know, so if they see something once or see it twice, you know, they're going to lock that in and you probably won't be able to get it that time. So it's like you got to be able to shift guys around. You got to have different motions to make it look like one thing is completely different. You know what I mean? Those type, those type of coaches is what take us to the next level. Like Sean McVay, you know, Matt LaFleur. Those guys put guys in position, those shift and motion guys to get that, identify that matchup and then exploit it. You know, those are the, those are the offenses where I would like to be in, and I know Hollywood is back is in a spot like that now. You know, it's just where you can showcase all of your talent, all of your passing game, not just the run game, not just the down the field stuff, but every aspect of your game. Man, it's so good to hear because you know I think Lamar gets a lot of criticism as a passer, but maybe maybe it really, I guess definitely it's not all on him. Maybe, maybe he does have that element to his game. We're just not seeing it. Uh, maximize um, with yourself though how how do you keep your head I mean that's like the prime of your career uh, like you said you led the team in reception so it wasn't all, all for naught but how did you kind of persevere through you know the of your career and in a system that wasn't taking advantage of what you do best and, and how do you kind of get a, get a second wind here looking forward yeah uh, in, the, in, the, in it you know I was just having fun you know, we had great teammates. You know, we, you know, I just, you know, how do I say this? You know, I just maximized my role for what they wanted me to do. Um, you know, I just came to work every day. I was being that professional, leading the young guys, you know, and, and we were winning games at the time. And I'm all about the team. You know, it's one thing to be winning games and, you know, you contribute here and there. And it's another game to lose games. And then, you, you know, it's, it's a different feeling. So it's like when you're winning, everything's good. And. I think that 2019, 2020 year, you know, I just, I knew my role in that offense and it's like, I knew what it was going to be, you know, it wasn't going to be anything different. It's just, I had to do what I had to do to make it work. And, you know, when we got great players around you, both the run game and pass game, it's like, you just want to find a place to be able to help the team. And that's what Baltimore has always been about. It's been about the team, team, team. And when I went there, you know, I just fit into the mold. I was fed. So it's like guys leaned on me in certain situations, but, you know, I just always came to work ready to go. You know, I didn't really have an attitude or nothing about if I had five catches here or two catches the last game. You know, I just always knew that every week was a new week, so it was a new opportunity coming. So, And that's how you always have to look at it, where, whatever team you go to. You got to have that mindset that every week is a new week and your opportunity is going to be that next opportunity. So that's what always kept me in it, mm-hmm. you know, and then just – you always want to maximize the receiver. Every receiver wants to be able to maximize the opportunity. So it's just, when I was in Baltimore, I got limited opportunities. But when I got them, you know, I always try to make the most of them. And just to, to get heavy, I mean, when you read about your your upbringing, you know, your, your college career, it just seems like you have a, a different motivation, right? With, you know, one of your best friends was Eric Patterson. And, yeah. God, I mean, I, I, I had no idea um, how he passed and, and how much that really affected you at a, at a really important juncture in your life. Yeah, yeah, that was my best friend, man. We uh, we got to know each other pretty well at Ball State. You know, we went against each other every single day. You know, he made me he made me sharper. You know, I made him sharper. And, uh, you know, we, we maximized our opportunity at Ball State, man. You know, when he passed three, three, four years ago, you know, it hit me hard. And we were, like, right in the middle of OTAs. And it was actually 
Tomorrow is the day, four years from tomorrow, he passed away. And it was like right in the middle, at the end of OTAs, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, I really couldn't believe it at the time. So my other best friend, he called me crying, and I just didn't really understand, you know. And then when he actually could get it all out and, and told me what was going on and what happened, uh, you know, it just it was a big blow. And I used... I tried to use, you know, that as motivation because I know he loves, like, he was a fan of Lamar Jackson before anybody was on the Lamar Jackson bandwagon. Like, he had a whole Lamar Jackson jersey on. Like, like that last uh, game we had in 20, uh, I think it was 2018, we played the Chargers in the playoffs. Like, we came all the way back and we got into the playoffs. Like, he was a Lamar Jackson fan. Like, he was all for Lamar. And I just remember that. And then, like, the next year, LJ has his MVP season and all this, and I kind of dedicated that 2019 season to him because it's like, you know, he was just really a really, really close friend of mine, and I really have a tight circle, um, and he was one of those guys, and I think he just, that happened to me kind of gave me extra motivation because I use, you know, faith, family, you know, and then, you know, Eric was just that extra motivation I needed to just continue to keep striving for better because he knew I was always good enough to be in the league, you know, he just always challenged me to continue to get better each offseason. Every time you go on that field, just make your presence known. How competitive was it between you two, those college practices, day in and day out? It sounds like that's how you hit it off. You guys would just go at it. Yeah. No, nah, we, would, we would come to blows sometimes because it was just, it got like that. We were both Florida kids. He's from Tampa. I'm from Palm Beach. You know, so that that fire for football is already built up inside of us. And it's like, when you're going against good competition and somebody's going to make you better, like, you really just want to go at him every day. I wanted to go against him every single day. And that's how it was. Like, you know, we he will win his one-on-ones. I would get mine over the top some, sometimes on him. But he was just a hell of an athlete. He challenged me to be the best. And I think that's why I was so good in my last two years when I got 1,100 yards and in my last year, 15. It's just because those those – Spring practices, those training camps, we just we used to go at it, man. Like, like you would, I can't even like explain it. Like, we just used to go at it. They used to have to separate us, and I think that's where he got the best out of me, and I got the best out of him. Really, so you guys, you guys were throwing bows. I mean, we're we're talking fights and practice. It got that intense. Yeah, talking talking trash and everything, man. It gets intense, and I take I carry that into the league, man. When I was in. When I was in Baltimore my last couple of years, it's like I was going at the DBs like that. You know, Marlon Humphrey, yeah. Marcus Peters, you know. I just I just took that extra emphasis to go at the corners because I know if I can go at them hard and I win here, they're going to win in the game. And I just kind of always took that mentality wherever I went. It's just like I got to give them the best rep every single time. I don't care who he is. You know, that's just, that's just that competitor in me. And I think all those years at Ball State with Eric, Eric and us going back and forth, I think that just – carried over into the league. That, that really does. You watch your, your style play a wide receiver. It, it is kind of an extension of those practices and that, you know, that, that, that those battles that you had with Eric Patterson, it seems. I mean, you're physical, you're violent, you, you don't shy from contact. It, was it all kind of born there in those one-on-ones at Ball State? Pretty much. I mean, I always had a nose for the football and going over the middle and stuff. And I seek contact, you know, because I used to play defense in high school, so I was already physical by nature. You know, so me catching the ball and taking a hit or taking two hits, like, I look for that type of stuff. You know, I've been I've been smarter over the years because, you know, you got to know when the journey's over, so to speak. But, like, if there's a if there's a goal line in front of me, I'm trying to run somebody over to get it in that thing. You know, or, like, if I'm going over the middle and I know I'm going to take a hit or I'm in the end zone, I'm going to take a hit. 
Like you gotta seek, you gotta seek the ball. You gotta attack the ball. And I kind of just that did carry over. But that's always like that was always built in me, you know. Because a lot of guys won't do that. Like they they see that stuff across the middle, and they see bodies flying around. It's it's hard in the trenches, you know. It's hard in the middle of the field. So that's why everybody stays outside. But you know, for me, I've just always been natural, a natural born catcher. You know, I was smooth at the top of my route, so I think it's just when I got into league, they put me more in the slot, so I was working inside more. So mm-hmm. that was an adjustment, but I just think the physicality, the toughness of my nature is just why they would put me in there. Because when you're going against linebackers and safeties that are bigger than you, you got to have some type of toughness about you, some grit. And I just think that's where they identified as like this kid can run over the middle, so they put me in there, and that, that's what that's what you see now is. All that good stuff. That can be your edge then. I mean, not everybody's really willing to go, you know, across the middle. You know, that's it's still kind of a Bermuda Triangle. You don't know what's going to happen. You can still get tagged across the middle. So, yeah, maybe 20, 30 receivers get drafted, but not, not all of them are, are able to go into that part of the field like you. Yeah, man, it's, it, you got you to gotta be ready to go when you're going in there. So, it's just over the years I've built it up. I've built the confidence to do that and just watch it, film, and study it. That prepares you for all that. So it's like when you're going in there, you already know what's going to happen. You just got to be able to catch it and make a play after that. So Eric was, he was gunned down by an intruder in his own home in Tampa, right? I mean, and then you're getting news from a friend. Like, my God, I mean, what is going through your head when you hear that? Yeah, it's tough, man. Uh, The crazy thing is I had taught him to Eric like two days before that you know he was he was talking about coming to minicamp and stuff like that and uh, it's just when you when those when that stuff happens and you can't even control it and you know it, you feel helpless in that moment and I mean all I could do is pray for him and his family and his spirit and I know he was a man of God so it's like I don't have anything to worry about his spirit and afterlife but it's like just losing a friend that close and I'm sure anybody should relate that has lost somebody it's just like it's a shock you know and it's like it takes weeks, months to get over, and I think it took that whole year to really just understand and come to terms with my best friend. I used to call every week, who used to check in on me every week to make sure I was ready to go. Isn't going to be making that call anymore. And, uh, you know, it just, it it, it hurts. And I never had lost a friend like that before, so it was something that, you know, it challenged me in a different way. But, But, yeah, it was just really unfortunate how it happened to him and you know, to this day, we, you know, they still haven't, you know, really found who, who is, you know, involved or, you know, really what happened to Eric. Oh, I was going to ask you because I, I couldn't find anything myself, right? I mean, in the moment, they just said, you know, they, they didn't think it was random, but they were investigating it. And I know his dad said, you know, he, he just begged and pleaded, like, be a man and come forward, whoever did this. And the guy Eric left behind, what, a six-year-old and a seven-month-old. It's so yeah. tragic. There's, there's no leads. There's nothing at all. No, man. I just, it's, it's hard, man. It's just, it's, that's something that will eventually come out. And, you know, when it does, like, you got a lot of people that are cowards in this world, man. You know, it just... You just got to be careful. You know, that's why I try to tell, you know, all my... My students that I have with me now at our school, it's just like, man, you got to watch who you work with. You got to watch how you move, you know, because there's always somebody out there that's hating on you. Right. You know, and that's all that was. Somebody was hating on Eric. You know, he was trying to change his life and he was trying to do the right things. But it's just like you got these one or two people that really envy people. And they still take it to that extreme, you know, and it, and it's, it sucks. And especially with the world, their gun violence is just 
out of control right now. You know, you just you always got to be careful. You got to watch who you hang with. No, so, I mean, you, you don't have any idea yourself. It's just somebody that was envious, you know, in, in some capacity that had to have done this. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned your school. Like, yeah, how, how are you kind of giving back now? How are you trying to, you know, spread the good word, you know, to, to younger players coming up? Yeah, so, I mean, this offseason has just been full of just pouring into this youth, the youth at our school. Uh, me and my father, we came up with the idea two years ago uh, to open up an all-boys Christian school here in uh, West Palm Beach. And uh, at, time, at first it was tough. There was a lot of politics and, you know, buying land and things like that. You got a lot of, you got a lot of hoops to jump through. But once word got out, you know, we had a small group of kids, like 10 to 12, you know, come with us. And, you know, it started with workouts. And then we had eight-man last, uh, I want to say, a year ago. And now, like this offseason, we sprouted up to, like, 25 kids, and we just got done with our first school semester, and the, the core GPA for the class, 25 kids, was like a 3.4. And these are all kids that are coming from, you know, high schools where, you know, they were low grades or they were in a system that didn't fit for them or some coach told them they wasn't good enough, so they was in the back, you know. So we took these kids from different areas and we put them all in one group, and we, you know, we put them to work, you know, both on the field and off the field and, this offseason, I really got to pour some life into some skills into these kids, and it's and they've taken it and run with it, man. We had an eight-man football season this year, and uh, we went undefeated in this league, and we went went all the way to Orlando and won a state championship off of that. And you know, that's just a testament to these kids, man. They put in the work, and we got so much talent down here in South Florida. That's the whole reason why we opened up the school because, like, when I was growing up out here, I had friends who were so much more talented than me, but. The one reason they didn't make it out and I did was because I chose to make the right decisions or I chose to work hard or I chose to do something different from what the norm is. And I think that's what these kids nowadays are getting caught up in. They get caught in the norm or they get caught in the what everybody else is doing in the streets instead of them prioritizing their time, putting school before everything, putting their workouts before everything. And when they're done... Staying in the house, doing something productive, not being out in the streets or doing nonsense that could get you in trouble. Yeah. You know, and that's that's really was the emphasis behind it. And these kids have blossomed from it. And these kids are probably like, you know, this coming class, it'll be juniors, sophomores, and uh, freshmen, and then a couple eighth graders. So, you know, we got a really good group of kids. And I just, I really, all my time has been focused up with that. And that's why this offseason, I feel like it's gone by so quick, even though I haven't been in no OTAs or mini camp it's just like i've been working like football with these kids so I, i've been sh staying sharp you know the workouts itself these kids push me you know because they're younger and i'm older so they push me to another level um so it's really worked out the school has been awesome and uh it's really starting to grow it's, it's awesome how far it's come in two years that's unbelievable you know you talk to anybody from that area you know we've had uh Lamar Jackson's his private quarterbacks coach there. Joshua Harris is down there, and he tells the stories of just pop, like literally adults gambling on Pop Warner games, right? Because they're that yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're that entertaining, they're that wild. But like the scene there is, you've got so much talent, so much speed, but every single NFL player who's come out of there says the same thing, like that they that they weren't even the best out of their group of friends, and yet those kids couldn't just couldn't get out you know they get caught up in the streets and surrounded by the wrong people is that i mean is that what you're trying to take out with this school is to just save a kid here and there 
I think I think just like with the kid, with some of the guys that made it out of Palm Beach, one one common denominator we all have is we had a positive influence in our life. You know, and I think most of these kids nowadays they're missing that. And when they go to the influences, whatever it is, it's not always positive. Like you get negative thoughts, you get oh that stuff ain't gonna work out. You know, it's all negative, man. And when you're talking to a kid who's 14, 15 years old in that way, like, you're not bringing them up, man. You're not, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, most of these kids are going to go home and they're going to tell themselves, oh, I'm not good enough. Or if they're not strong, strong-minded to the point where they'd be like, nah, man, I don't believe that. I put in all the work. I'm doing this every single day. I'm doing the right stuff. It's going to come out of me. And, you know, most kids don't think like that. So you need, these kids need a positive person a a role model that's going to tell them how to do things the right way and show them how to do it you know and when you do that and you get a collective group of kids that are doing the right things now you become you're creating leaders and when those leaders are like established our school like we have now the kids that come in like we just had like 12 15 kids enrolled in the school now now i'm telling these kids like hey you guys are the leaders now. You're the foundation. So whoever comes up in here and pulls up, they need to know this is how we do things. There is no way. There is no their way. It's our way. Because this is what's gotten y'all state championship. This is what you're going to have y'all, you know, in a great season. But it starts with the guys who are leading the groups. And I think most of the guys in Palm Beach don't have that positive role model. But I've always been fortunate my father. You know, Lamar was fortunate with his quarterback's coach and his mom is such a a positive light in his life and you can go down the list of Anquan, Santonio Holmes, all those guys, you know, always had a positive person, whether it was a parent or a coach that kept them on that straight path instead of veering off to the left or the right when somebody else tells them something or they did you know what I mean? I think that's that's the biggest thing a part of these kids' lives and uh here in Palm Beach. Man, so perfectly put and I feel like we don't talk about that enough. I I get it. There's a lot wrong with the world and society, and we can get into policies and all that. But at the end of the day, shit, it just help. It helps to have a dad around, a parent around, somebody that is being a strong influence in your life. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing too. Like a lot of a lot of the kids in our program, you know, come from single single parent homes. You know, mm-hmm. so when that extra element is missing. You know, there's a void there you got to fill in. And I think me and my family, we took it, we taken on that role to be able to somehow fill that void, you know, whether it's a conversation or a workout or school, you know, just holding kids accountable to the point where they look at themselves as like, man, I got to do better. Yeah. You know, this ain't, this ain't acceptable. You know, and when we get to that point, man, like the sky's the limit for these kids because you got to think, like, like, I'm almost done with football. That next generation of kids is coming in. Yeah. You know, and most of them ain't got their head on straight. They're looking at Twitter and Instagram thinking that stuff is realistic. But back in the day, back in like the late, like 2000s, you know, it's like you you didn't have social media to go to. You just had to put in that work and those scholarships would roll in. But now these kids are looking on Instagram. They think all this stuff is real on there. I'm like, dude, look, if you turned off your phone for half the day, you would accomplish so much more than what you're doing right now. No. You know, and I just, that's that's kind of like the thing I'm trying to put in their head now. It's like social media is not all real. Probably like 20% of that stuff is real on there. Everything else is just clout and just like for likes and stuff. Like, bro, don't get, don't get caught up in that stuff because then it becomes a, a distraction. You know, and it's already a distraction. You just don't want it to continue to be one. You know what I'm saying? God, you're, you're preaching, man. I mean, I've got two kids. They're only two and a half and ten months, and I'm already terrified of them being teenagers with 
Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. God, TikTok. But how do we how do we fight against this? You know, I mean, this is it's just so dominant in kids' lives. Like, how do you just tell them? Look, like like you just said, shut the phone off and get outside and, and experience life. That that that's what sparks creativity in, in your brain. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's it's, it's nothing you can really control or try to control for them you just gotta teach them how to manage it mm-hmm. you know you gotta be able to know how to manage when to take a break when to shut it off like spend time with your family read the book you know read a book or you know do some more school work or go out and work out you know there's so much more stuff you could do instead of just being on your phone for the next 30 minutes to two hours you know because that's how fast it can go and uh, you know that's what we just try to tell them I don't, I don't like to control our kids at all but I try to teach them how to manage things because it's like if you can manage it and have control over it, then you're going to be good. Like, you can be on social There's nothing wrong with social media, but when it becomes overwhelming or it's something that takes over your life, like, if you look to your phone, as soon as you wake up and go on social media, you got a problem. You know, because it's like, if that's the first thing you think about getting up, then it's like, like, what are you doing? What's the, purpose of, what's the point of you getting up? Like, what's the purpose of, for your day? You know, and I just think, because I get caught up in that too. Like, I'll wake up and I'll be like... I look straight at my phone, Twitter, yeah. Instagram, who's getting signed, where, and it's, it's that quick. And before you know it, like, you walking out the door, you ain't had time to kiss the kids, you know, stuff like that. It just becomes a distraction. So, you know, it's just all about trying to manage those things and trying to help them do that. God, isn't that the truth? I mean, there's a, a really great speaker. I think, it's, I think it's Simon Sinek, possibly. I, I'll just send you the link where, you know, he said, like, if, if that exactly what you just said, if you wake up and your first instinct is to check your phone, like that's an addiction, that's a problem. And we all, so many of us do it. I mean, I just did it this morning, and it's it's awful. Like he says, like literally, put your phone in a different room, and that that can help. Uh, no, man, it's crazy. I mean, everybody does it, and like you said, it is it is some type of addiction. You know, people don't like to say that because everybody does it. So, but. It is the truth, you know. You just gotta be able to be able to control that stuff and identify it. You know, if you identify it and then try to change it, then you're trying, you know, you're trying to change for the good. You know what I mean? What do you like to do? That you mentioned reading books. I mean, and I mean, your school probably keeps you so busy. But is there anything really good that you've read lately, or you know, any interests, hobbies that you have that kind of help you get away from social media? Yeah, I got two little girls, so I mean, they're oh. eight. They're one's about to be eight. Another just turned five, so it's like they take up a lot of my time. You know, I try to read to them, read different books. Um, I'm always working out from like seven thirty to like noon. It's just full of workouts, you know. And then the rest of my days with my kids, you know, we go to the pool. You know, I read some books half the time. You know, I I'm really in the word most of the time. I'm in that word, trying to pick and pick and pieces from there just to help me in my life. But you know, I just try to go like different devotionals. I read, I listen to podcasts all the time, just trying to hear different messages. You know, and people's wisdom to help me in my own life and my walk. So nice. that's kind of like when my day is just you know full of, and I just I'm really taking this time to spend a lot of time with my family. You know, because. The past seven years, like, I would go to OTAs and minicamp, and my family doesn't come for, with me with those situations. So I, I'm usually alone. I'm in football. So this is this is a full year, besides the COVID year, where I get to spend time with my family and just really, you know, get to know my daughters, you know, to spend more time with them and be a dad to them. And I just – I really appreciate that and cherish that this year, and it's really impacted my relationship with them. I've got, I got married in March, so nice. I got this – 
I know I got to spend time with my wife. We got to go on a honeymoon. So it's like all this stuff I probably wouldn't have been able to do if I was in, you know, OTAs or a mini camp, you know. So it's it's been a blessing in its own way. So I just I try to look at the positive light in that way. That's incredible, man. Congratulations on the on the marriage. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we was we've been together for like nine years and we just tied the knot this off season. I was just like, Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Love it. So it's, it was awesome. And to be I mean, like you just said, it's such a blessing in disguise to be there to raise your kids. And, and yeah. you, you can probably wean them off Coco Melon, get get them watching something else other than that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's 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 a challenge in its own self. You must already know that. <laughs> well but I just talked to Terrence Newman a couple days ago and like he said of his life where, like he said, he just he just retired obviously and then got married and had a kid. He said it was all by design and there, he's trying to get her off the Coco Melon. We're, we had success. We were on the Bluey, so I think we're we're good now. Bluey's pretty good. I like Bluey. Full House is a good one too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or loud, I'm sorry, Loud House. It's called Loud House. I'm sorry, that's not right. Full House. Yeah, Bluey, can, that's pretty funny, though. That, that he's such a good dad in Bluey that I feel like insufficient sometimes watching that show. You know? <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, man, before I lose you, and God, thanks so much for, for all the time, Willie. Um, anything else you just want people to know about you and, and where you're taking your life? It's, it's, God, it's, it's really inspirational in a lot of ways. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm the furthest thing from retiring. You know, I just. Last year, which just wasn't a, the best year for me, uh, I really didn't get an opportunity like I thought I was going to get in Vegas, you know, so I just, I'm just trying to find that right place to, you know, really stick so I can show people that I can still play at a really high level. And I still got a lot of juice in the tank, man. It's just waiting for that right team, that right system to, you know, come get me so I can help this te- help that team get better. So I feel like every team I go to, I find a way to make that team better. And uh, I'm just really excited for that opportunity that comes. So uh, until then, man, I'm going to be here in South Florida pouring some good stuff in these kids' lives, trying to change the direction of their lives and, uh, you know, just trying to make an impact in another positive light. Yeah, and I totally forgot about Vegas. I mean, that just had to be insanity last year with everything that, that you went through as a team. Oh, man. It, it, I, I couldn't uh, – nobody could have written that, that story. You know, it's just when I walked in, you know, the only reason I went there is because John Gruden called my phone personally and told me that, you know, he wanted me to be a Raider. You know, I didn't really have any intentions of being a Raider because I felt like they did have a good room of receivers. You know, they they did have guys that were there for a couple years. But, I mean, when Gruden calls you and he tells you that he wants you there and you're going to be able to reinvent your career and as a pass catcher and stuff like that, you know, I just – I took the cheese, so to speak, you know? So, yeah, yeah it was just sounded like it was too good to be true. And then, you know, everything unfolded the way it did. You know, I only – the crazy thing is I went from 60-plus snaps to getting, like, two snaps a game. And I just was like, man, I'm not that bad a receiver where I can't get, like, at least 10 to 12, you know, plays, even though, like, Hunter Renfro and Ruggs are doing well. It's like – I'm not just on undrafted rookie. I don't play like seven, eight years in this league. Like I got experience. I got playoff experience. Like it just, it just wasn't a, a good situation for me. And uh, I think a lot of GMs and coaches aren't sure about what happened with that. You know, I just, I just really try to tell them it just wasn't, you know, the best fit for me. You know, it doesn't mean my career is over. You know, I'm in the best shape of my life. I just think, like I keep telling you, it's got to be the right situation, the right team, the right offense for me to fit into so I can make an impact for this team, for that team uh, and help them win some games like I've done 
in the later part of my earlier part of my career. I mean, it's like a bait and switch. It doesn't make any sense that the head coach who's calling you personally and, and yeah. luring you over there would just sit your ass on the bench then. Like, what the hell? Uh, that's why I, 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 man, I endured it for like five weeks and the brutal stuff happened where he got fired and everything. And I let it go for like two weeks. After he left, the whole dynamics totally changed. Like, it was basically, you're not going to get nothing. You got to be happy with getting nothing. And I'm like, yo, like, I can't, I can't be here for that, man. I didn't sign up for that, you know. And I just, I don't want people to hold that against you, but I had to do what was best for me at that point in time, you know. So I'm just looking for that team that's not going to hold that against me and that's going to let me go out there and ball out for a minute because I'm yeah. ready to go, dog. I'm, I'm excited. I'm hungry. Uh, and I'm just ready to play, man. Awesome, awesome. Hey, well, let, when you when you find a home, uh, let let us know, and we'll uh, we got to keep this going, man. Like you said, it's not, it's not time to to reflect on a, on the career quite yet. You're still writing it. Oh man, I'm still writing it. It's just a new chapter coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Hey, Willie, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate you carving out time. No doubt, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for sharing my story. frozen beverage from McDonald's, your brain may not like how refreshingly cold it is, but the rest of your body, oh yes, it's gonna relish every moment of it, because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's. Get all the chill you need for just $1.69, from any size frozen drink, like a frozen Fanta Blue Raspberry, to a new ice cold lemonade. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. ba da ba ba 